This episode of Geeks Crossing is brought to you by today's sponsor, Anchor. Ever wanted to start a podcast but can't find the right platform to work with? Don't worry, Anchor has you covered. Anchor is a free audio app that allows you to record a podcast on any device no matter where you are. Anchor includes an editing feature that allows you to customize your podcast, whether it be on your computer or mobile device, so you can easily omit any errors or unnecessary parts. Anchor also allows you to distribute your podcast to other platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or even Google Podcasts, which is amazing. Did I mention the part about making money? No? Well, you could be earning money every time someone listens to your podcast with no minimum listenership. If that's not the easiest way to make a podcast, I don't know what is. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you love Disney and video games, then chances are you've heard of Kingdom Hearts. I know, the concept is very bizarre for a video game. Mixing the childlike essence of Disney and the edgy style of Final Fantasy? Hey, oddly enough it worked and it became one of the most popular IPs Square Enix ever made. Next to Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, of course. I've been a fan of Kingdom Hearts ever since I was 4 years old and it continues to be one of my favorite video games of all time. If not for the beloved characters and epic moments, then definitely the Disney element. Like most people, I watched a shitload of Disney films growing up, especially from the Renaissance age. So going through levels, or in this case worlds based off Disney films, made me feel like I was in those respective films. Recently, I played through every Kingdom Hearts game again and decided to rank the worlds from worst to best. And I think it's only fitting that I start with the first game since it's the game that started it all. I'll be ranking these worlds based on quality and how they reflect the game overall. But before I begin, there is one rule I want to address, and that is I'm only including worlds that we, the players, have access to throughout the game. The following worlds that won't be included are Diamond to the Heart, Destiny Islands, and Disney Castle. The first two worlds I mentioned are only playable in the tutorial, while Disney Castle only appears in cutscenes. Even though it appears on the world map, there's no route to access it. That shit bothered me for years. That leaves 12 worlds to talk about in this game. Remember that this is all based off my opinion, so if you don't agree with me on some things I have to say, that's totally fine. Also, this list will contain story spoilers, so I apologize in advance. I'm Eric from Geeks Crossing, and this is the Kingdom Hearts Worlds ranked from worst to best. Number 12, Atlantica. Starting off from the bottom, we have what many consider to be the worst world in the entire series. As much as I love The Little Mermaid, this world was horrible. Kingdom Hearts was notorious for having abysmal swimming mechanics, so an underwater-based world felt like a fucking chore at best. Especially in terms of combat where everything felt lethargic as a merman. The boss battles against Ursula were undoubtedly one of the most frustrating fights in the game. The first one forces you to waste your magic on her cauldron just so you can have a chance on inflicting damage on her, but the second one is utter hell. All of Giant Ursula's attacks are relentless and you can barely have time to breathe. Despite having pretty good music and Ariel being a decent party member, this is one world I look forward to the least whenever I replay the game. Number 11, Monstro. Funny enough, Monstro is the first and only character to be classified as a world as well. Now, exploring the belly of a whale does sound good on paper. In execution though, it sucked. Monstro's body consists of a maze that leads to many different chambers. Usually I don't mind mazes in video games, but this one gets on my nerves more often than not. It took me hours as a kid just to find the fourth fucking chamber. Even though I have no problem going through the maze now, the damage is already done. Not only does this game suffer from shitty swimming mechanics, but platforming as well, which is needed to progress through certain chambers and to get past the throat. The Parasite Gauge is an annoying boss to deal with no matter what phase you're fighting. If Pinocchio constantly screaming, GET ME out of HERE, won't annoy you, then getting hit by Monstro's stomach acids will. At least the music in this world is catchy. Still, 
there is one thing that perplexes me. How the fuck does Monstro survive in our space? Number 10, Wonderland. I probably should warn you guys ahead of time, but this list is full of unpopular opinions. As much as I like Alice in Wonderland, this world doesn't cut it for me, sadly. Part of that is due to how confusing the world layout is. I got lost in this world for hours as a kid, especially when trying to find those heartless clues. I know, it's supposed to replicate the original film style and all, but come on, Square. Another thing that bothered me is the fact they kept reusing the Bizarre Room and Lotus Forest but in different angles, making this world feel empty. The boss fights aren't something to write home about either. Fighting those card soldiers was boring, but I did chuckle over the fact that he attacked the Queen of Hearts every now and then. I always hated that bitch. The Trickmaster, though, is unbearable. It's bad enough that you can't hit it without the table or chair to give you extra momentum, but when he destroys the furniture and starts shooting fireballs, 9 out of 10 times you're fucked. The music in this world is still enjoyable, though. Number 9, The Hundred Acre Wood. Yes, the minigame world ranked higher than 3 of the actual worlds in this game. Winnie the Pooh is one of those Disney properties you can't help but love because of its purity and innocence. After collecting 5 torn pages, players have the choice to hang out with Pooh Bear and help him find his friends. It was a simple premise, but I love the bond Sora and Pooh developed towards the end of the world. The minigames, however, are disappointing to me. Most of them felt sluggish and required a lot of platforming. Also, hearing that rendition of the Winnie the Pooh song just puts a smile on my face. Most people tend to skip this world because of how little it serves to the overall plot. I mean, they're not wrong. But to me, it's a nice break from all the combat. Number 8, Agrabah. Aladdin is one of my favorite Disney movies, and desert-themed levels are usually fun. I love the music and the story with it being an abridged retelling of the first film. You team up with Aladdin to save Jasmine from Jafar, who is using Genie to find the world's keyhole. But why is Agrabah ranked this low? First off, I hate the world's structure. The plaza was broken up into unnecessary parts. The Cave of Wonders was a chore to get through, especially when avoiding those falling pits. And I wish we could have explored more of the desert. The boss fights are also a disappointment. The pot centipede felt very dull. The tiger head was frustrating beyond reason. And both fights against Jafar had their own share of problems. In phase one, you're forced to chase him around the treasure room and avoid Genie's attacks. At least he's nice enough to warn you ahead of time. Genie Jafar is invincible for the most part, so the only way you can inflict damage on him is by attacking his lamp that's being carried by Iago, which requires platforming. Hooray! Until I found out years later you can damage him by casting Blizzard spells. Would be nice if the game told you that. This world is also home to one of the secret bosses, that being Kurt Sisa. Sadly, it's the weakest of the secret bosses in this game. Go figure. Number 7, Halloween Town. This has to be the most controversial ranking on my list because everyone loves Halloween Town. I know most of you are probably yelling, Why the fuck is Halloween Town not number 1 or at least top 5? Don't get me wrong, I love The Nightmare Before Christmas and it's very interesting to see a stop motion film be utilized in a game like this. The world does a good job with providing a creepy atmosphere and I like how we get an original story. Jack Skellington wants to give the Heartless a heart as part of his Halloween celebration, but Oogie Boogie ruins everything. Also, you gotta love that rendition of This Is Halloween. But why is this world below the top 5? Much like Agrabah, the layout and bosses turn me away. The areas felt very compact, and climbing up Oogie's Manor could be nerve-wracking because chances are, those goddamn gargoyles are gonna keep attacking your ass, causing you to fall down and start all over again. Shock, Lock, and Barrel were more annoying as bosses than I thought, and even the boss fights against Oogie sucked. Trying to trap Oogie in his own roulette wheel wasn't as fun and humorous as you'd think, especially since there's a chance he can heal himself or summon Heartless to distract you. Giant Oogie, on the other hand, has you concentrate on destroying six dark orbs scattered all over his body. And you know what that means? More platforming! I kept falling more times than usual in this fight, and it sucked. 
I'm sorry, but these issues is why Halloween Town is ranked this low. And number 6, Deep Jungle. Here we have another world that everyone hates, but I seem to love. Before I talk about my personal liking towards Deep Jungle, let me explain why this world gets all this undeserved hatred. The world constantly has you backtrack to the same areas you explored, which makes it feel exhausting at times. Most of the trees were slippery to climb, and what do you know it, platforming is required to navigate through this world. Despite all that, I think the world was beautiful. Part of that is due to my love for the Tarzan film and jungle-themed levels. The music fits the atmosphere quite well, and I like how they handled the plot. The world started off so mellow until Clayton's lust for power attracted the Heartless. I know it was annoying to fight Sabor numerous times, but at least it was good for level grinding. The actual bosses in this world were the Stealth Sneak and Clayton. Oh, sorry, I meant not Clayton. This was the first time we get to see a Disney villain and a giant Heartless fight side by side. Most people like to skip the Heartless and focus their attacks on not Clayton, but I always defeat the Heartless before not Clayton for extra experience. Tarzan was one of the first characters to help Sora realize that friends remain in your heart no matter where you are. It's a shame we'll never see Tarzan or this world ever again, because I know this world could have been improved in future installments. Number 5, Neverland. And the unpopular opinions continue because starting off the top 5 is Neverland. Much like Deep Jungle, this world receives a lot of hate. Many of you are probably saying, Really? You put Neverland above Halloween Town? This world sucks! It's not actually Neverland! That last part is true though because we're really exploring Captain Hook's ship. Misleading title aside, I actually like Neverland believe it or not. Sure, Captain Hook's ship is extremely compact, but it's not as bad as you'd think. The music has a nice mellow tone that captures the feel of exploring a pirate ship. Then we get a very upbeat and positive tone when we explore Big Ben towards the end. Peter Pan was great as a party member despite acting like a dick towards Sora in the beginning. The boss fights were fun in my opinion. Anti-Sora was the closest thing we had to fighting a dark version of Sora at least during this time, and it provided a decent challenge. Captain Hook is one of my favorite Disney villains, so fighting him was very enjoyable. I love how he can fly around and trick Hook into jumping off his ship so the crocodile can attack him. It's an efficient way to cheese him out of combos. But the biggest reason why this world is ranked this high is because it was the setting for how certain story events transpire. This is when we find out Riku has truly joined the dark side, and Sora finds out that Kairi, arguably the most important person to him, has lost her heart. It was great build-up for what the last few worlds have in store. Another secret boss can be found in this world, which is the Phantom. If you're someone that hates using magic, then you're gonna have fun with this one. Obvious sarcasm, because this boss sucks. Number 4, Olympus Coliseum. My favorite Disney world in this game is ironically the one that feels less like a world. Unlike majority of the Disney worlds in this game, Olympus Coliseum is a tournament arena that borrows elements from Hercules. The story is pretty basic, but it works for a world like this. Sora, Donald, and Goofy want to prove that they're capable of becoming heroes like Hercules. By doing so, they compete in a series of tournaments, or cups to be more precise. This world encourages you to revisit every now and then to test your skills, and I loved it. These tournaments were fun to compete in and it provided a great sense of replayability, not to mention the amount of bosses you can fight in certain seeds. For instance, Cloud from Final Fantasy VII, who was hired as Hades' hitman earlier in the story. Then we get to battle other Final Fantasy characters like Squall, or Leon as he's called in the game, along with Yuffie, both in which Sora met earlier in his journey. We even get to battle Hercules himself, where we find out he's vulnerable to wooden barrels. So much for being half-god, am I right? Speaking of gods, Hades also serves as a boss, but he's only in the tenth scene in his own cup for some reason. Regardless, I had so much fun fighting him. And who doesn't love James Woods' as Hades, am I right? Sadly, the Rock Titan was painfully easy though. I mean, you gain 1 EXP point every time you inflict damage on him, so that's saying much. Of course, I have to mention the secret bosses that are found within the climax. 
those being the Ice Titan and Sephiroth, who's also from Final Fantasy VII. The Ice Titan doesn't offer much in my opinion, but at least he's better than the Rock Titan. Sephiroth, however, was absurdly powerful and caused me a lot of stress as a kid. This secret boss was also a great way to slowly incorporate the Cloud vs. Sephiroth story in Kingdom Hearts, although this was clearly added for fan service. The music in this world is very catchy because it makes you feel like you can go the distance, like that little reference there. Even though Olympus is very lackluster in terms of exploring, it offers so much replayability. Number 3, Traverse Town. We finish up the Disney worlds and are now discussing the original world. How fitting is it that the three original worlds are in the top three? Traverse Town is one of the most prominent worlds to be featured in this game, a world that serves as a refuge for people who lost their homeworlds to darkness. It was the very first world Sora visited when the Destiny Islands got taken over by the Heartless, as he learns about other worlds being in danger and his responsibility to defeat the Heartless. And of course, this is where he met Donald and Goofy. I'll never forget seeing Sora, Donald, and Goofy teaming up for the first time and take on the guard armor. My four-year-old self couldn't help but be amazed to witness Donald and Goofy fight alongside you. The music is without a doubt the most catchiest among the soundtrack in this game, and I know you're lying if you said you didn't hum to the field theme at least once while exploring. Traverse Town is also full of many Disney Easter eggs like having a Lady in a Tramp statue in the 3rd District, a mansion that's home to the 101 Dalmatians, with the 99 puppies being scattered in different worlds, Merlin's house from the Sword in the Stone, and so much more. Traverse Town is that one world we visit consistently throughout the game, as Sora often goes there to seek guidance from his Final Fantasy friends. Opposite Armor was essentially a transformed version of the Guard Armor, but it was still a great boss to fight during those visits. This world is also shrouded in secrets that I can't help but question. For instance, how does ringing the bell from the second district reveal the keyhole? Is the manager from the hotel really behind those curtains, or just a disembodied voice without a character model? What's the secret behind the sun and moon palette in the waterway? Overall, Traverse Town is one of the most iconic worlds, not just in this game, but the series in general. Number 2. End of the World It's weird to say that name nowadays, because this world is essentially part of the realm of darkness. Being a quote-unquote, heartless world, the end of the world is home to some of the most strongest enemies throughout the game and serves as the final location in Sora's journey. Despite its dark atmosphere, the world looked gorgeous and the music is amazing. Even though it's pretty much a remix of the Dive to the Hard music, but I find it better in my opinion. Most of the areas were fun to explore like the giant crevasse, the world terminus which is compiled of areas from all the previous worlds you visited, or even Evil Grounds where you fight Disney's Satan, the Cherubong. As weird as it was to see him in this world, the boss fight was still epic. I also love the easter eggs within the mountain where there are remnants of worlds that have yet to be revealed, but we'll cover those worlds in a future episode. Without a doubt the best part was the climactic battle against Ansem. The world of chaos still holds up as one of the best final bosses in Kingdom Hearts. As players had to fight their way through Ansem's defenses without Donald and Goofy for the most part, but once you rescue those two, it's time to fight Ansem one last time. I'll always remember that cutscene where after defeating Ansem, Riku and Mickey helped Sora seal the final door to Kingdom Hearts thus restoring any fallen world from darkness. It was very emotional too because Sora was forced to say goodbye to his friends right after they just got reunited. It's a shame that this world has been overshadowed by other final world locations within the series, but for what it was, the end of the world served as a great battleground for the game's climax. Number 1. Hollow Bastion The best world in Kingdom Hearts, in my opinion, is Hollow Bastion. Once a peaceful castle, now corrupted by the Heartless, out of all the worlds in this game, I feel like this is the one Square Enix put the most effort in, right down from the layout, story, and of course, bosses. Areas like the Rising Falls, the Great Crest, or the High Tower were all fun to navigate in their own way. Because this was one of the last worlds in the game, a lot of important story events began to transpire, such as Riku revealing to be the true wielder of the Keyblade, 
his lust for power that gets him possessed by Ansem, or Sora discovering that Kairi's heart was within him this whole time. To save her, Sora straight up kills himself to release not only his heart, but Kairi's as well. That shit was mind-blowing when I first witnessed it. This was Square's way of reminding players that just because this is a Disney game, doesn't mean it's going to be all lighthearted and shit most of the time. Having Beast from Beauty and the Beast as a party member in this world was definitely something I wasn't expecting, but it works. Beast arrives at Hall of Bastion to find slash rescue Belle after their world has fallen into darkness. Even though how he got to Hall of Bastion was extremely vague, it was still cool to see another Disney ally serve as a party member in the original world. Future games really need to do this more often. The music in this world is A-plus material, having the right balance between being ominous and epic. The boss fights were also very impactful. Before Ansem, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty was the villain for majority of the story. So without a doubt, she was the most vital Disney boss in the entire game, given how much shit she gave Sora and company throughout the plot. The first fight has you concentrate on knocking her platform down as she casts her dark magic. If you want my advice, just use the gravity spell on her platform. It'll make the battle go a lot faster, trust me. Her dragon form, though, is a different story. Dragon Maleficent shows no mercy whatsoever, but as long as you memorize her attack pattern, you'll be good. We fight Riku twice in this world as well. The first fight is rather simple, but once he gets possessed by Ansem, you're in for a world of shit. Like most people, I died to Riku Ansem so many times as a kid, it wasn't funny. If not for the limited space you have in the battleground, but his insanely overpowered combos. Regardless of how many times I died, part of me kept going because I wanted to see Sora rescue his friends, and it was totally worth it. Hollow Bastion is also revealed to be the homeworld for most of the Final Fantasy characters in Kairi, which makes it even more significant. End of the World was great for climax purposes, but there is no denying how impactful Hollow Bastion is overall, and it deserves the number one spot as the best world in Kingdom Hearts. With that said, my list has been concluded. It's obvious that this was Square Enix's first attempt at making levels like this, so not everything was perfect. I still enjoy each of these worlds to a certain degree, but the problems are unavoidable for me, though I'm sure we can all agree that without this game, future installments won't have anything to improve on. Still, if you're curious about exploring these worlds for yourself, then by all means, go for it. Especially if you're a hardcore Disney fan like myself. This has been an episode of Geeks Crossing. Subscribe for more content and join our Discord server for updates. Thank you for listening and have a great day.